Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hump day. Well, at least happy hump day to if you're listening on a Wednesday, which you probably won't because this podcast is going to come out the next day. But we're recording on Wednesday, so happy hump day. So <laughs> be retroactive. Hump day. Yeah, yeah. Retroactively happy hump day. So what's going on, people? What's going on, Rian? Um, I was talking to Rian before we started the recording. Um, I'm very sad. I haven't seen Rian in person in like a very long time now Be- between like me traveling us away for the holidays, like COVID scares. And I don't know. I don't even know what else, like just generally life. Um, I've been talking to Rihanna over zoom and it, and it kind of sucks. This is my love letter to you ahead of Valentine's day, by the way. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah, yeah. I, you could, <laughs> you get it in early, a couple weeks early. But... Uh, I forgot to book a dinner reservation, yeah. <laughs> but it's fine. I think you might be occupied anyway. Uh, no. Yeah. At least you're, you're one living on your own yeah like are you what set how many months in now seven oh my god yeah it's actually yeah it's been it's been seven months since uh, i started living in my own place and it's it's been great like i I actually love having my own space and love having my own apartment um it just sucks like during the winter like the winter especially when you don't really go outside like there's not that much to do outside so like my weekdays are mainly work and then i just kind of vibe if i'm not going out to see like some for dinner during the week so most days of the week, they're the work way, work week. I see like max one, one maybe two people. Um, honestly, it's like 0.6 people on average per week. So yeah. it's not always. Yeah, and it's always tough when you're working and living in the same place. I know that we all did that for yeah. at least a year, and a lot of us are still doing that. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely harder when you're doing it on your own. I low key miss the office. Like I wouldn't go in yeah. every day. I wouldn't go in every, like every single day, but like two to three times a week at my own discretion would be great. Especially I mean, if I could leave whenever I wanted. Yeah, yeah. It would probably be nice to just walk around a bit more too. <laughs> just honestly, it's exercise. Yeah, that's so valid. But how are you? You um you've been busy. Um, I know you've been busy. You're going <laughs> you're going skiing, which I, I might actually time, pay. Yeah. I may pay people to record that. Now that I think about it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Go, going up to Vermont this weekend. Um, gonna try out skiing for the first time. I've I was saying to Ellie, so I've actually been to Vermont a few times, like for um, at a friend's place that, that just has a has a place up at, at a mountain there, and declined the skiing parts of those trips <laughs> each time to, to do something else as, um, as the as a true african-american man would <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly like i look back on it more than anything it's the past times that i've gone i've been more or less broke so it's like also it's like true that- like skiing is very expensive like even if it's not in vermont like you think of the people that go to like breckenridge aspen i mean those are right? way more expensive yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but like that's all the places that you see a lot of people going or at least talking about um meanwhile like yeah new hampshire and your vermont's of the world are definitely cheaper but it's still like crazy expensive yeah yeah that even at the end of this trip i'm only going to ski for one day but even at the end of that it's going to be you're gonna it's be, gonna pain. be a lot. It's gonna be, oh, oh yeah, that too. Like <laughs> like not even not even my I'm gonna feel pain in my wallet and my actual body. So yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for that. Well, I'm glad you're mentally prepared. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm gonna be having a ton of fun in the snow this weekend. Hopefully, like knock on wood. Um, I currently I don't have plans to do this, but I probably will do it anyway to just run around. <laughs> like in Central Park, probably just in the snow, like just a dog, make, like a dog. <laughs> yeah, like you make a snowman, jump into it, and just that's as as long as it snows at least like six inches. Yeah, so that's my that's my plan. Um, beyond that, there's no club football this weekend. It's all international games between basically tomorrow, well Thursday, I'll be more specific, and uh, early next week. So while we're going through all those international games. We have a couple of club games to recap for the past weekend. More majority of what we're going to talk about is folks in the Premier League. I do not want to talk about if you tweet at me, I will not respond. I do not want to talk about the Valencia Atletico game, as Rian has staunchly reminded me about. But for the purpose of this podcast, we'll focus on a lot of things England, some AFCON updates. We're into the round of 16 now. 
and the U.S. men's national team in their World Cup qualifiers against, oh my God, it's Canada. No, 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 I know this. Canada and El Salvador, right? Yeah, and then Honduras is the and last Honduras. one, I think. Yes, yeah. there you go. Um, so, Rian, let's start in England, right? This was one of my favorite games of the season. Not because it was a beautiful really? game. Yeah, not because it was a beautiful game. It was actually... Um, of course, I'm talking about Chelsea versus Spurs, but uh, like what I really enjoyed about this game was it was a like you could see every gear shifting in Antonio Conte's head during this game. Like you could see everything that he would yell out on a pitch was directly translated to a potential change made on the field. And there was something there was something really beautiful in that. I, I really appreciated that. So obviously. A very poor day for Spurs, a team that's been in red-hot form. Uh, we're going to talk about ZX goal in a second, but a great, great scoreline for Chelsea. A little flattering, maybe, a little bit, but I'll leave that up for you to decide. So, what were your thoughts? Uh, I think overall, I'll probably push back a little bit on the on the – um flattering so i do get where you're coming from with it though i I, look the the zx goal i mean (laughs) like that (laughs) it was it was reminiscent of of the like the worldly goals he has scored at ix like it felt like that yeah yeah and especially rebounding off of what i think we both agreed was a pretty poor performance um against manchester city last weekend and then you know the team looked flat again on um, against brighton um like just, I'll just touch on the Chelsea stuff very, very quickly. All I'll say is that we know that there's a, a bit of a chasm between these two teams in terms of talent and squad depth, right? Um, so, so not gonna, not gonna put too much weight into this performance. But I think the biggest takeaway there from a Chelsea point of view is it's kind of amazing what happens when, when the, at least the third best team in the league. Um, is not playing Manchester City and or playing with two days of rest um, as as we saw Chelsea did in, in the game against Brighton where they looked just they just didn't look physically mentally like um, fresh enough to, to win that game and, and Brighton as they can do to anyone um, punished but I think that this was just, as we've seen from the last couple games, um, the Chelsea have played against Spurs, especially in this month. It's when these two teams are on an even footing in terms of fitness and um, and who's available, more or less. Uh, there's just a, such a difference. There's there's still such a gap between um, Chelsea and Spurs right now, and pretty much a lot of teams from the from the top three right now still. So. That's all I'll say on the Chelsea side, but well, let me let me dig into that a little bit because you talk about there being a difference. We've talked about how there's been a difference between the top three and basically everybody else. Do you think because this is kind of what I mean by this is one of my favorite games to watch, just like in terms of setup, in terms of just the Spurs perspective. What did you make of the starting lineup from Spurs specifically? Um, we'll get I know we'll get to the Chelsea side in a second, but one of the things that interested me was this was a a four four two that obviously Hungman Sun's out, he's injured, but I don't know how I felt about the personnel starting. I, I don't know if you got the same impression, but I, I was I was a little confused. Yeah, I'm with you too. Like when I saw the lineup, I was um <laughs> I was trying really hard to figure out who was playing where and, yeah. and, and what exactly was happening, uh, was going to happen at least. It was the first time that we've seen Antonio Conte play with a back four since his, as far as I can remember, his first season at Chelsea in the first what, couple months of the season before they made the switch to the, to the back three. And obviously everything changed from that point. Um, but the first time we're seeing him go with the pack four since then, especially it was especially surprising because of how well I think that Tottenham has played 
since Conte's come in as a coach and and they've been playing a back three the entire time. Like so it, it was a real surprise. He was playing basically two fullbacks on each side, uh, four fullbacks in the in the whole team. With um, if you think about Doherty, I didn't even think about it in the whole team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Do- Doherty and Tanganga. I mean, Tanganga's played wing back, I think, for them, mm-hmm. and so and so as Doherty, and then Ben Davies and um, Sessignon, who both played wing backs as well for under Conte. So it was their plan was obvious. I guess we'll put it that way. And you saw from the attacking movements, it was sit very deep and try to nick something on the counter. Now. At least I, I would actually be curious your thoughts on the Harry Kane disallowed goal there. Um, and the little like a little push that he had on Tiago Silva I, I, from a non from my side, from a non-biased point of view, from a non-biased point of view. Um, it was one of those for me that. I'm sure that you and I have tried to win as a defender at any point in our <laughs> in our playing days, and and I mean most and I feel I feel game, attacked. Every sure, defender tries. Every defender tries to win that type of foul, um, and it's just like I don't know, fifty fifty whether it's usually called. I mean, I mean, probably more than fifty fifty. I think defenders actually get away with this a lot, and it's just what's going to happen every time they're in the box and close to an attacker like that. If they feel anything, in the same way that an attacker would do on the, at the under at the other end of the pitch defenders go down but I was curious what what were your thoughts on that disallowed goal I mean look in reality I I have I have two kind of opposing thoughts one is that there's a world before VAR and there's a world after VAR um and I think the decision's different in 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 each of those scenarios to your point like we've all made kind of challenges (laughs) like that there's no there's no absolutely no escaping that but I've like on a personal level been very much a proponent of you have to do what the rules say, even if they are wrong, because even if they are wrong, I think that will at least lead to a discussion about how those rules need to change. And I think this is a pretty good example of that. So I don't necessarily have a problem with it being disallowed. Obviously Harry Kane has already come out and said that he disagrees with that. Shocking. I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but I do think that it, in a world where it doesn't get reviewed, it, it may have very well stood. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay too. Um, but for, for the way that like the process worked, I honestly, that's fine. <laughs> I, I wasn't too torn up about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, that's that's as much as we usually will go into referee decisions, anyway. But, but um, <laughs> like, you know, I think we're, if you want to listen to our thoughts on VAR, go back like two years. Yeah, <laughs> we have a yeah. podcast on it. <laughs> look, when when you're at the baseline, that usually the referees, not usually, I shouldn't say usually. That's pretty harsh. But when you're at the baseline, that. <laughs> everything is subjective more or less in this, in this sport when it comes to fouls and you can't do much about that. Um, even with VAR, as we've seen now, um, it is what it is, but I think overall the Chelsea deserved the result. Maybe, maybe the two nil is a bit much, but um, they thoroughly deserve to win the game, I think. But from the Tottenham side, Elias, um, when you look at the other results from the weekend, um, you see Manchester United picking up a 1-0 win against West Ham. And you see Arsenal, I think, played well against Burnley, but just couldn't convert their chances. It, it, it's a really, really important next, what, five days in this transfer window for Tottenham? Um, like they need to get players in like it's and and i i will i'll just add to that and say mm-hmm. luis diaz is a player obviously that they're going after winger from porto um ecuadorian very very impressive player um someone who i think definitely oh not not ecuadorian colombian i like but uh, very very impressive i've watched him during the Copa america i've watched him before that i think would be a really, really good signing for Spurs. I have absolutely no idea where he's going to fit in this team. Like Spurs don't play with 
He's like a winger. He's more of a natural winger. He's the most traditional winger you will see in today's game. And Conte doesn't play like that. So as much as you say that Spurs, this is a critical month for Spurs of of any top team in the Premier League, I, I agree with you. I just think that they also have a massive like risk of screwing that up with some of the signings that they're, they're going after. Um, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Continue. No, no, it's, it's a good conversation because there are a lot of turnover needs to happen for this team to get close to the, to where the top three are really. Like I'm just talking about in terms of squad depth and talent. Right. Um, we've seen them also linked to Adama Traore, who I remember him being linked to Chelsea at one point too, when Conte was the coach, um, I mean, pure entertainment value, I would love, love, love to see Adama Traore playing wing back under Antonio Conte. I think that would be amazing. (laughs) I think that would be amazing to watch. I think that would be full, like, sicko level type of transfer. You've tweeted that (laughs) shitty meme so much in the last two years. It's I want to see horrifying. it so badly. I want to see it so badly. But um, you know what's I, funny? It would probably work. That's the that's I the crazy it part. It actually would work. I agree. Yeah. It would work. I mean, yeah, I agree. It would work. You wouldn't be asking <laughs> him to do a lot outside of just run up and down the wings, and yeah, he's very good it, at that. In a look, I watched Victor Moses turn into. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, no, into, that's no pristine example. Into, yeah, 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 like borderline world class world <laughs> right wing back for a season. I think he could get something out of Adama Torre. I think that could end up working. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh my but, god. But but uh, just like I said, recapping the results from from the rest of the top four, Elias. Um, United get the late 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 winner against West Ham and if you kind of look back to their game right before that which was Brentford in midweek where United looked really really poor in the first half against Brentford and then kind of turned it on the second half and and I think Rang made some adjustments that really helped the team I know we talked about this like um, West Ham versus Manchester United in terms of the top four. Um, And I know that we both agree that United also has a glaring, glaring flaw in the middle of their team. Um, What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I don't know. We asked this. I think we asked this before the Tottenham Arsenal game about who has more momentum, whatnot. And uh, I know we both said last week that we feel like Manchester United will probably finish in top four more likely than West Ham, right? But I feel like this past weekend, you kind of saw the big difference between these four teams that that are vying for a top four right now. Tottenham... The talent level is not there, but the coaching is definitely there. The right coach is there, and and the right level of coach, I should say, is there, and and there are pieces there to build around. I saw with, you know, I mean, Hurricanes had a bad season, but the, the talent is there, and then you, obviously, Stig, uh, Bergvain has showed last week too that he could he could turn a game on his head. Um, great great for Lester. his potential move to Ajax. Great timing <laughs> for Spurs. It was great timing. Um, and, and then we saw in Arsenal's game kind of that thing that we that we touched on before where they are young players. So the consistency of every single game getting it right, especially like in the final third, like, like that's not something that you can necessarily count on from players of that age. But it's it is important and, for them to continually get that yeah, experience. Yes. Um, and, I, and, I, and playing well. I, I mean, that. they did play well against Burnley. Like it's not like they played poorly. I'll mm-hmm. put it like that. Um, and obviously in United and West Ham's game, again, a difference in quality and maybe a bit of a difference in how each team approached the game. You know, West Ham sat pretty deep and, and didn't really get 
much going from an attacking side. I mean, they had one shot on target yeah. the game. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <exactly>. you're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, does it does it feel like all Manchester United has to do is not screw up and they can and they'll finish fourth? I mean, that's, congratulations, that's kind of what it feels Rian. like to me. You just jinxed it. Um, <laughs> that's hysterical to me. Um, no, to answer your question though, I I disagree with that because again, I think we're everybody's falling into, and I'm guilty of this, but everyone's falling into this mindset of somehow the top four to seven are on the same number of games played. Spurs have two games in hand and they're currently two points off United. They win two of those games, even win one and draw one. They're still in a great position for top four. Um, Arsenal also have a game in hand and two points behind United. So yeah, United, all they have to do is not screw up in the same way that every other team in the Premier League should not or, or cannot afford to screw up. But I, I don't think that they're necessarily in a more prime position. I shared this last time that I, I don't necessarily think they're in a better position than West Ham to finish top four. And while my timing is great because West Ham have now lost their last two and United have won their last two, um, I think there is something positive for United fans to take away from this last performance. And I, I shared this with you when we were just talking about games over the weekend. Defensively, I was very impressed by United. And I think that that really, really showed through with the press. Not, I mean, it, it did show through in, in kind of the tackles made, uh, the interceptions made. I was very impressed with, um, I'll call it the overall defensive backlines performance. But I was more so impressed with how well the attackers got in, involved in, in getting the ball back. Like I saw Mason Greenwood running to press basically the whole, or I guess right side of, of West Ham. Am I compu- confusing left and right now? I think it was West Ham's right side. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. yeah He's on the left. The yes. West Ham's right side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I saw him, like, that's not something that we saw six months ago. It's something that you may have seen about three United players running like headless chickens, but not in an organized fashion. So I was really impressed with that. And I think it felt like West Ham were being suffocated. And this is, I think, one of those games where I might look back on and say, that performance can kickstart something for United. I'm not saying it can kickstart like this run of 10 games unbeaten or something crazy. But I think especially at home, right, a place that they've seemingly struggled under Ole recently, you could tell that there is a different morale about this team, especially against such a strong side. So I was I was actually impressed with United. That's all the credence I'm going to give them. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I feel like there's this I, I'm kind of feeling deja vu from last from last mm-hmm. season, whereas where I'm about to say something similar, where it's just there's just this glut of talent that will drag them across the line you know Cavani comes on late in that game a guy that that probably a few of us would say potentially should be starting more than a certain Portuguese Bruno number seven (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. exactly exactly no Dalo bro (laughs) of course of course oh my god yeah 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 um yeah, but like you bring a player like that on his intelligence of timing runs, knowing knowing how to bring the other his teammates into the game. He gets the assist on the goal. Um, Rashford, bless him, love to see that he's that um, that smile on his face. Seriously, love to yeah. see love to see whatever he scores. But there's just a lot of his talent, and I feel like everything's going to be about mitigating that midfield just as much as they can so that's the big I mean that's a big coaching job for for Rangi for the rest of the season realistically and if he does that then I really feel like they should more or less cruise into fourth place cruise I'll lightly say cruise but I, I do <laughs> think they should finish fourth um anyway at least for, from that side of the table shall we go down to the bottom where there was some, the there was bottom. some fun drama over the weekend there too. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm not excited to talk about the bottom because I kind of just feel for the bottom of the table right now um, between some combination of 
oil money and just bad football. Um, that relegation battle is just sad. <laughs> but let's talk about it, Rian. Where do you want to start? I think we should start with last Friday where – <laughs> how do you how do you how do you just yeah no go for it go for it where somewhere around i want to say the 50th minute for just after halftime the u.s national team puts out their roster for the upcoming world cup qualifiers oh my god you're and, painting a narrative i love it and and a certain ginger with wonderful smile and and work and just great work rate but kind of nothing else other than the work rate not let not brought onto the squad and quite honestly no one who has watched Josh Sargent play this season or watched him play for the um U.S. national team in the last year would have had any qualms with him not being called in for these you you, you especially Yes, you of too. Course. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yes, <laughs> I'm including myself here. Um, <laughs> but this sport, as I've said before, can be very, very silly. <laughs> and 10 minutes after that roster um, drops, Josh Sarge scores his first Premier League goal. I audibly yelped when I saw it. <laughs> it, it was like... <laughs> Would you would you call it a scorpion kick? Because I feel like a scorpion. I don't. Kick, I don't you have to get can. off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Is that so? I mean, still a great goal. It's a, it's a back heel flick. Maybe? It's a back heel. It's a back. Yeah. Heel. Yeah. I mean, it still looked amazing. It still looked <laughs> beautiful. Um, it's just instinct more than anything else. And um, and then what? Ten ten or so minutes later. He, he, I think someone said on Twitter, it's, it's like an alley-oop, his, his uh, <laughs> towering header for, for his brace, and he gets his first two goals in the Premier League um, in what was probably Norwich's biggest game of the season at that point against Watford, a fellow relegation rival. Norwich ends up winning the game 3-0 and pretty much force Watford to sack yet another manager, this time Claudio Ranieri, who had been in the job for like six months 15 minutes um like, <laughs> sure yeah i mean yeah you're not wrong <laughs> like, he, he they're now going to be on to their third manager of the season um it's a great oh my result. god it has not been six it's felt yeah. like six months oh my yeah. god yeah yeah I, I believe he joined in october um so yeah it's been wow i mean this is how watford operates i mean realistically we this is how it always happens. But um, I mean, from the starting with Norwich, congrats to Josh Sargent. Absolutely surreal scenes at the end of the game where I don't know if you saw this, Elliot, but goes over to clap the, the fans, the home fans, and this huge swell of USA, USA. I saw that. Yeah. Chance. And like, and I was just, I started cracking up. I was like, this is, this is hilarious. And I mean, happy for him. He had a huge smile on his face. So, so really happy for him. Um, and you now fingers crossed, he's only 21 still. So it's, his career is not in the least over just because he's been poor for, he's been in bad situations and not been great in them in the last about 18 months. And it doesn't mean that his career is over at all. So that that's just on the sergeant side of it but Ellis, do you think i mean this is the first time since the first month of the season really that norwich have not been in the bottom three uh it's again not, not this gonna, is go ahead go ahead yeah i was gonna i was just about to ask you like not not gonna say if you were to better this but but <laughs> do do we feel like there's a chance they can survive Right now, and taking into account Watford are also in this terrible, terrible run of form. They've lost seven of their last eight, and Burnley, they got a good draw against Arsenal. They got a good draw against Arsenal, but they have just lost their starting striker to Newcastle. So, So, again, 
Burnley have four games in hand. Four on Norwich. Four is a lot. Now, granted, I don't expect them to win every one of those games. Is it fair to say that they could pick up four points in four games? Maybe. That's plausible, which would conceivably bring them out of the relegation zone as well. So if I was a betting man, I'm not putting money on Norwich to necessarily get out of the the relegation battle. I do think that they're in a better spot, right? Having won their last two is critical. Like there is, there are very few opportunities now to screw up between now and the the end of the season for them, especially with Newcastle getting again, a, a pretty, pretty big boost uh, with their, their most recent, is he English or is he Irish? I forget. Um, the the Chris Wood, yeah, Chris Wood. I, I believe I, he is from New Zealand. I want to. Why did I, I, okay? Let me, let so me, just I'll, wrong wrong that, accent. But... but my point my point aside is, I think that's a massive boost for Newcastle. I think Norwich's biggest threat is absolutely Newcastle. Watford, I'm if I were a betting man, I'd probably say are not doing so well in the context of their relegation battle. Personally, Burnley, I think, are just up in the air. I don't, I really hope we're not looking at a situation where Everton become a part of this conversation, but oh. they're, they're awfully close to, to the relegation. So look, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that those four, that Norwich, Newcastle, Watford, and Burnley are like in their rear view mirror, but mm. they're, no, calling, they're calling, <laughs> they're calling, they're on the phone. Everton are trying not to look at their phone right now and see see that they're all calling them. Um, I, I think Everton will ultimately be okay, but you you keep the last couple of weeks they've been sat in that 16th spot, losing games, and still not really getting that close to relegation, which is the yeah. funny part too. Um, but uh, just just on the on the four teams there. Yeah, great, great two wins for Norwich. Who, after we called them a charity club, maybe maybe it was more me than, than <laughs> that you, was but... you. Do not put me in that bucket. <laughs> they were able to find two clubs more charitable than them in the last two weeks. So bless them. Um, from the Newcastle side, they pick up a, a really good win against Leeds, um, who similarly sit in fifteenth. But I don't think either of us are remotely. Um, Concern for, for in terms Leeds. of relegation, no, yeah. I just I do think that Leeds have absolutely underperformed. Yeah, um, statistics will tell you that as well. Yeah. That's not something that we're necessarily even just throwing out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. On the Leeds, thing, like last season, they were always just around even in terms of expected goal difference. Mm-hmm. This year, right now, they're a negative ten on the season, right? Like they're not creating the chance, the level of chances, and a lot of that has to do with Patrick Bamford being out for much of this season so which is a a, real shame because i think that like i I think that genuinely could hurt his not that okay i don't want to go that far but it's almost basically reduced the chance of going to the world cup to like oh yeah i mean i i don't think that's that's a crazazy thing to say like you're you're totally right i think that um that kind of third slash fourth center forward on the on the england squad is is a competition. I, I I don't think the options behind Harry Kane are that set in stone at all, really. So if he had a good season, he could have played his way into it. He still has next season, as we remember that the World Cup is going to be in the middle of the season next year. Jeez. <laughs> um, get me started. <laughs> but but yes, yeah, so just going away from Leeds. It was a good win for Newcastle, who pick up that win and. Now these next five days are going to be pushing hard for signings. We saw today that there's a rumor of the center midfielder from Lyon, Bruno Gomes, uh, who is kind of like a analytics, soccer analytics nerd's um, favorite player. One of the, one of one don't of those don't players. think that I did not see you snooping around on on football <laughs> Twitter about stats for him. Don't think I did not see that. Um, but but beyond that. It's going to be really important. I said it for Tottenham, but but for more for Newcastle because they actually have 
more than enough of the funds to do it and the ambition to do it. Uh, we'll see how hard they push these next five days in the transfer market because, I mean, it is now or never in terms of you're talking about being relegated. So it'll be exciting. I, I it'll be you very say, exciting you say to that see them try. The, yeah. To see them to see them try and see what the market's actually like, and it'll probably tell us a lot about how this summer is going to go. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're we're looking at right now still four teams fully in this fight, and no one, no one quite good enough to pull away from it really. So, I, I uh, at least if there if there's one of the four you had to bet on to to go down to not go down, I should say. Oh, it's not going to probably Newcastle, probably yeah. Newcastle, because yeah. um, there there's definitely going to be even if they are in the relegation zone the last day of the season, some shady dealing from a shake. So, I mean, it, yeah, that, uh, that's purely my logical side, my non-footballing side. Tin foil hat tech lead over here. <laughs> oh, I've never. No one's ever said that before about <laughs> me. I love that nickname. No, but I mean, like, even realistically, like Newcastle are probably in the best position like just with the like squad depth not depth just generally their squads um of course that's barring major injuries and covid but yeah yeah i think i think i'm gonna i think i think if i had to pick between any of them i think it'll either be newcastle or watford i still think watford has a really good squad for in terms of relegation um Oh, versus yeah, everybody else. They yeah, do. Versus, yeah, but but I agree. But they're a mess. That's that's kind of the X factor. They're a complete mess. Like, so so we'll Valencia. They yeah, yeah. I mean, Basically. yeah, but in a different way. Valencia was more because of financials. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 are yeah. Just are just like they 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 were born in the mess. Dude. True, true. Yeah, like molded by it even. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> Sorry, Watford fans, but uh, we should move on before yeah, someone yeah. really gets mad at us. Um, briefly round up everything. We'll take a quick break. Um, what happened to City <laughs> exactly? <laughs> like, I feel like Southampton is just either the thorn in everybody's side or the absolute punching bag. And I can't, yeah, I just can't tell. Some, you're right. I mean, it says sometimes one or the other the team who got absolutely stopped nine <laughs> you give up nine mm-hmm. goals twice in two seasons yet usually seem to give a really really tough game to the top four top six teams right um look I, as much as the commentators on nbc sports <laughs> try to pedal and and market because you know they they need people to keep watching the rest of the season um <laughs> as much as they tried to pedal that this, that the title race is back on because, no, it is. It because is. Manchester city it is. Um, just couldn't convert <laughs> because, <laughs> because Raheem Sterling couldn't finish um, a tap in from six yards out in the first half <laughs> that would have given Man City the lead Be- because of that, the title is apparently back on. Um, but I-, I think it was just kind of one of those days at the office for, for city that happens to them. Like just it does happen like to any team we should say you can't they'd won 13 games in a row like they like i know that we have seen them win like 18 games in a row so we so yes it is a bit surprising the standards are very different yeah it's it's, it's crazy yeah that's that's what it is really like they draw this game where they easily probably should have won um and and people think that it's uh kind of a showing of their weakness, like weaknesses. That Rian, there is a 20-point like... gap between City and West Ham in fifth. 20 <laughs> points. Like, I know I was talking last week about um, how City actually are not, like, completely in the clear, which I still potentially think is true. Mathematically, this, yeah. Mathematically, of course. <laughs> but, like, let, let's be realistic for a second. Like, that is a massive gap. And I'm not saying city are going to let their foot off the gas. Just that you have to acknowledge that 20 points in your top five is insane. Yeah. And realistically, it'll probably be more than that when the season ends. So true. Um, but from, from city, 
to Liverpool, who who do not did not did not deserve to win that game. Continue. <laughs> I know that Elias was pressed about this. I was I, so Elias mad. was so pressed, and I was so surprised about how he was pressed from this penalty call that that Liverpool got close to the end of their game against Palace, which they ended up winning three one. This penalty that made the game three one and pretty much ended it when I think Palace had. A, really good second half and could have equalized really good um, second half they ease this easily could have been 2-2 yeah like oh my god um <laughs> it look it stems off of a otherworldly pass from Trent uh, I, I want to just go back one step an <laughs> otherworldly pass from inside his own half like a, a diagonal all the way to the penalty box that in stride in stride hits the Diogo Jota in stride he tries to chest control it the, the the touch is loose and then he just kind of throws himself into the keeper and <laughs> wins the penalty um Elias explain your frustration Elias texted me about like oh that was that was a bullshit <laughs> penalty call and I thought he was talking about the Real Madrid game because that was happening at the same time. That, that's, I mean, look. No, I actually had no problem with those. Yeah, you could have been copy and pasted, really, for almost any Real Madrid game. But, uh, Elias, explain your, explain your frustration. No, my friend, listen. My frustration is the pass is beautiful, like props uh, to Trent. But it was more about the fact that if you go back and watch, Diego Jota is literally leaning, leaning into the play. Like, he is not, he's not tripped up. He trips himself up by causing the action himself, which is in and of itself, not a penalty. And that's my biggest problem with it. Like that whole game and the momentum of it, obviously momentum doesn't matter in the context of a scoreline, but like it does in the context of the, the run of play. And it was ruined. It was entirely ruined by a call that should never have been a penalty when a player is leaning in themselves to make the first initial action. Like that, that is just ridiculous to me. Um, the English refereeing, man. I actually thought there's a part of me this weekend that thought, oh my God, maybe it's getting better. And then I watched this amalgamation just defy logic. Amalgamation is not even the right word. Yeah, I don't yeah, even they, care. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I even... It's just best. It's just best, guys. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with you. I, I got not, nothing much to add there. Um, Lovely. Next. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing here is. Villa goes and wins at Everton. Um, it's a good win for them. Obviously, I'm sure Steven Gerrard must have been even <laughs> he must have enjoyed that more than maybe more than the players winning at Everton. Um, <laughs> that's that's so true. <laughs> but uh, Villa scores, and then he was probably like Mr. Burns. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> after that game, <laughs> they were. It, it was, I think as they were walking off, I saw a clip of this. Um, Everton fans were chanting something at him as he as he walked off and uh he just kind of had a smirk on his face and was looking at it was it was it was great theater to watch but um <laughs> but Everton scores early in the second half of that game and go it's not Everton sorry Villa scores and they go over and celebrate in front of the Everton fans which is I mean players do this all the time not weird at all uh, the whole team goes over and celebrates and then just a huge pile of water bo- bottles and and actually haven't confirmed yet if they're plastic or glass. I really hope they were not glass. But starts getting thrown at the players. A couple of Villa players get hit in the head. Luca Dinia being one of them, who yep. recently, <laughs> as, you, as you might remember, just made a move. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, he got the assist on the goal, too. So yeah, <laughs> even better. Um but yeah, start throwing stuff and and really just kind of mars the the game. And we saw a pretty similar incident during the Chelsea and Spurs game where a bunch of lighters got thrown onto the field after Chelsea's second goal in the direction of uh, Antonio Rudiger. And it's it's becoming a regular occurrence now with these fan incidents. Uh, it's not not just in the Premier League, as you saw um, in Spain with the, the was it uh, the Betis game, right? Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Sevilla and Betis in um, the Copa del Rey, which was abandoned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing this. It feels like almost every week now where fans are having some sort of influence on the game in a way 
that is unsafe for the players, right? And it it I I really hope that nothing serious happens in, in the future, but it is all kind of building on each other. Like it's only keeps happening because someone's allowing it to happen, right? And and look, we know that those fans that threw the bottles at the Everton um, Villa game are going to get banned. Like that, there's there's enough cameras around there. It's pretty easy now for those clubs to find the fans and ban them for life. And I'm sure something similar is going to happen um, in Spain. But it, it is it is worrying. I think it's just a little worrying. Not not a lot to say on it outside of that but it's concerning I'd say. honestly i don't know if you heard this tim howard made a really good point about this after the i believe it was after the chelsea game when those lighters were thrown at antonio ruger and he said basically <laughs> he laid it out brutally honest i don't know how he did get in trouble for this but he's like nothing is actually going to happen until someone seriously gets hurt and then the fa will step in and then there will be action but before that, yes, you can catch people with CCTV, and that's wonderful, That and you should ban them for life. But I don't know if anything proactive will get done before that because it's, it's almost too hard, I guess, even from a political standpoint, which is a damn shame. But I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but if you have any more positive light to share, no, I no, I, it's, it. It, it's it's also not easy. Like you said, it's not easy to police this, um, those yeah. things especially. But even when you think about how many times we see now that I don't know if you see it as much in La Liga, at least, and, I, and I feel like I don't see it as much in La Liga. Um, but the amount of times that fans run onto the field now in, in Premier League games, at least, um, it feels like it happens once a week. More yeah. or less. Like, I know that I know that we it's probably more common that we see it at the end of games now, especially like in the Champions League. I'm just thinking about the amount of times that like Cristiano Ronaldo has, has had people run onto the field after games to try to get pictures with him and whatnot. But I'd be um, scared of COVID if I were him more than anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's it all kinds of builds on each other. It's they're not independent incidents. Seeing seeing um other fans run onto the field and not get in so much trouble. And and I'm not gonna say that I know um this or i don't know this but i don't know if those fans get banned when they do run into the field i, I don't know exactly what happens with those i think fans. they just get arrested and yeah. released yeah so it's they're they're not independent incidents i guess we'll put it that way but enough of the, the glum stuff elias shall we hit a break and then we'll come back and talk a bit of afcon and oh i'm so ready u.s Let's world, do it. world cup qualifiers yep brb all right let's talk a little afcon rian let's talk about the african cup of nations honestly a really good tournament so far um for those who have actively been watching and keeping track several upsets several like goal of the goal of the tournament goal of the season and then like puskas worthy goals already being scored from free kicks from just outrageous distances i mean just it's been a very good tournament now there are always downsides when it comes to to afcon so we're not even going to go to that but let's start with the most recent updates of course we're now into the quarterfinals being scheduled coming up this weekend just now past the round of 16. Rian, big names going out in both the group stages and now the round of 16, most notably Algeria, Nigeria. I, I don't even know what to make of what happened with the uh, Ivory Coast, a personal favorite, but talk to me. What's been going on with AFCON? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it this weekend. We've got the quarterfinals. Um First one on Saturday will be Cameroon against Gambia. And then a couple of significant events from Cameroon's past game. The, the first one that I think we should just uh, mention is, I believe it was after the uh, Cameroon game, there was kind of a stampede of, of fans leaving the stadium and a few fans actually died, which is 
really tragic um really really tragic situation so hopefully it, it was already coming to this tournament um a little touch and go from hosting it in cameroon due to their like political yeah issues um and I just hope this doesn't like exacerbate that honestly uh but just just onto the game itself so cameroon was playing comoros and going into this game comoros through a combination of injuries and covid issues were being forced due to afcon's pretty strict rules on on um covid absences Comoros played this game with an outfield player in goal. <laughs> and then you throw on top of that, they had a red card in the first 10 minutes of the game and played 10 men the entire game, but still only lost two to one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as Elias will probably describe, one of the best goals that we've seen this entire season. By of large distance it was not close um they went out of the tournament but they went out with like a literal bang like an actual banger of a goal um i don't really know what to make of this cameroonian side because this was a terrible sample size so far as how they'll play in the knockouts but we have to give massive, massive like credit to Comoros, our our favorite East African coastal country that have done actually so well. I think they have a population of like under a million in Comoros. So like, I, I it was genuinely one of those really warm times where you notice and you kind of always root for the little guy. That's how I felt about Comoros. So. Yeah, no, really, it was, it's a miracle, a miracle that they were able to still be in that game with 10 minutes left, have a chance to, to equalize, right? Um, but it was another goal from Vince, Vincent Abubakar, who's now on six for this tournament, and he's just ripping it up. Um, the next game on Saturday, another uh, one that includes a, a bit of a Cinderella team themselves, Tunisia versus Burkina Faso. Tunisia getting by what the the team that I thought that was at least the second best um yeah. looking squad at, coming out coming out of the group stage like in terms of how they played Nigeria Nigeria only with team. one shot on goal this entire yeah. game yeah really really disappointing I mean <laughs> it, nothing sums it up better than Alex Awobi coming on <laughs> in around the 16th yeah. minute and immediately getting a red card five minutes later and just <laughs> screwing the entire team of course <laughs> of course there's nothing better <laughs> <laughs> it's just disappointing I, i'm sure that they they really missed um victor Osiman. like i mean that has to be Without out. A huge, huge 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 miss um when you see what they ended up getting from from up top just they were missing a a forward of that caliber um who would have really tied everything nicely together that midfield is still i think that's midfield is still arguably the best in the um in the tournament but it's unfortunate that they that they went out this stage and um i'm sure our friend peter was didn't take a great but um well i mean i i texted him right afterwards uh <laughs> in the same way that he's texted me after barcelona games that have not gone my way uh with the words are you okay and uh his response was uh no so <laughs> i think take for that what it's worth yeah i mean now they move on there's a They've got big World Cup qualifiers um, in a couple months. And the way that AFCON does it, where it's basically five te- 10 teams, um, five of them playing against each other. Or sorry, 10 teams playing against each other. Um, and I believe that Nigeria is playing Ghana. So that should be just, that should be violent. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, like genuinely could be, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Moving on though to to the Sunday games, swift swiftly aside, <laughs> <laughs> the Sunday games we, we've got Egypt against Morocco. Egypt winning on penalties against Ivory Coast, who probably had behind Algeria the the most talented team, or, the, or maybe, behind, oh, yeah. maybe maybe like at worst the third most talented team. We'll say maybe behind I, Algeria, I think, and Nigeria, I think it was but second, uh, yeah, b- behind personally, like I would think. 
Nigeria, uh, Ivory Coast, and then um, who's the third team? We just Algeria. Algeria? Just, Algeria thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So big penalty shootout win for them, and now they move on to play Morocco. They um, who very exciting game got past Malawi. We had another banger of a free kick in there where <laughs> Akras Hakimi, the PSG right back. Like, it's it, it, are these balls just like not as hard? They are flying. They are really flying. The venom that he hit that free kick with, and it was curling too. Yeah. Um, from a similar distance, just yards wise, as the Comoros free kick, but from a completely different angle. Um, bends from out to in and perfectly in the top right corner. It was like a joy, a just absolutely crazy shot from Hakeem. Are we, are we also not going to mention the fact that Malawi scored an absolute banger of a goal too from like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It must yeah. Have been like I almost forgot 40 yards <laughs> yeah. out. I mean, Fr- like that was not a free kick either. That no. ball was also dipping and swerving. So maybe there is, this is like a deflate gate situation. Maybe <laughs> it's like the, uh, it's like the, the balls for the 2010 uh, world cup, the, the, I forget what they were called now, but oh, the, there was oh, the jubilee jambalaya. Yeah. Jambalaya. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those just had weird swerve to them. Yeah. too. It's feeling maybe it's just like an Afri- African ball. It's like, I like it. I personally like the knuckle and the weird, the weirdness add some um, spice <laughs> <laughs> but um the, the next game for sunday will feature senegal and a, another one of the favorites in this in this tournament um who got past cape cape verde 2-0 that's not a surprise they, they you'd expect them to to get through that but equatorial guinea getting past mali who granted are not one of the favorites but have a very good midfield when you look at it um, with Isbasuma, um, Hydara, who plays for Leipzig, and Kamara, who I think plays for Salzburg. Really good center midfielders. And granted, they didn't have much outside of that, but <laughs> but still definitely a um, big upset from you when you think about Equatorial Guinea. <laughs> so Senegal will be a huge favorites going to that game. I'm I'm curious who your favorites now to win the tournament out of out of who's left. That's see that is a really tough question now because I think the Egypt Morocco game is going to be very very telling in in who goes far because I think the winner of that game probably makes it to the final. They play either Gambia or Cameroon, and I favor Egypt or Morocco in in that tie. Beyond that. I would still on the other side of the bracket have to say Tunisia are probably the strongest side. I think it does end up being Tunisia, Senegal in the semifinals. There's a part of me that wants to say Senegal, I think should, should be that team, but I I think it will likely be Tunisia just based on their form, based on the fact that there is a big, big morale boost from beating the favorite, if not, you know, second or third favorite in Nigeria. <clears throat> and also Tunisia are not at all a bad team. Let's, let's be very clear. They have performed very well um, in, in the last even several months. Uh, we don't talk about the, the first game that they lost to Mali, but <laughs> they went on to win four nil the next game. So it doesn't matter beyond that. I probably am going to have to favor one of Egypt or Morocco, or Morocco. I think the winner of that game probably wins AFCON. It's, it's funny to think like if, <laughs> Morocco, if there weren't these weird personal issues between their coach and a couple players, <laughs> speaking specifically about Hakim Ziyech yeah. and, and um, Mazraoui from, from Ajax, two huge players who, 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 I mean, would have been one of the best players on the field in every game that they played for Morocco in this tournament, um, they would be huge favorites now. But, so it's just something that, a funny thing to think about. But I, I'm gonna say Senegal um, because I just think talent wise. I, I know I like that. I like that. They 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 do have that real. Um, they have a bit of a Spurs Spursiness to them in in how they can disappoint, how they can really disappoint. But um, yeah, I think I'm gonna make them my favorites from now. I honestly I don't hate that. I really don't. Um, I'll. I'll 
I'll let's talk after the semifinals <laughs> and then or after the quarterfinals and we'll talk because uh, I'm very curious to see how they how they play against Equatorial Guinea. Um, <clears throat> with that, I think that wraps up our AFCON portion. The last portion that we wanted to go over is U.S. Men's National Team. World Cup qualifiers are coming up. International break. A little bit of El Salvador, Honduras, and Canadian action. Obviously the biggest game here, Rian, talking about the U.S. versus Canada, a game that will not feature Alfonso Davies, as we know due to some heart-related issues kind of stemming from his COVID infection, which I feel like I, I said this like four months ago. We really don't talk enough about like how COVID affects these players. Like we think COVID is just something that you you get over, like you have, and then you get over like a week later and it's it's just kind of fine. But like Paul Pogba of all people has talked about this a lot. It's it's a tough experience to go through. So anyway, I digress, but how are you <laughs> feeling? How are you feeling ahead of the World uh, Cup qualifiers? Look, um, overall feeling pretty confident. I, I said this a few months ago. I still have. I'm still not worried, honestly, about the team being able to make it to the World Cup. Um, now that's, you know, finishing first, second or third. Who knows? I, I that that's still pretty up in the air. But luckily, it doesn't matter. Which which of those three positions you fall into? They just have to avoid finishing fourth, and I think that Canada, Mexico, and and uh, the U.S. are pretty safe in that. I know point. I know points wise, it's all very close. Canada is is first um, on sixteen points. U.S. is second on fifteen, and then Mexico and Panama are tied on fourteen. But I still think those three teams are pretty clearly the three best teams in the region. Are, um, you, are you worried about Panama at all? Now, now Panama has played very well against all three of those teams. So yeah. I, I'm not going to say not, I'm not going to say not worried. They did. Because, I mean, they got blown out by Canada. I mean, granted, we, we lost yes, to them. But. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> but they, they played well against Mexico. Um, but you're right. They did. They did. They did get blown out by Canada. Um, but I, I think my biggest gripe with this window has nothing to do with the players that were brought in, even though I think maybe the biggest um, snub is probably John Brooks still not being called into the team. Yeah. Um, there's the something age, weird. The ageless John Brooks. Yes. <laughs> there's something weird going on there between him and, and Burr Halter and maybe the coaches or something. It, it's maybe we'll probably never know really what's going on there, but it, it doesn't really make sense right now. Why he's not getting called into the team, but outside of that, no, no real issues. And then, I think that they can win the, all three of these games as well. So, so feeling confident in that sense, but it's more the fact that the U.S. is playing a game, the third game against Honduras in St. Paul, Minnesota. <laughs> where in, in, in the dead of winter, let's in the let's dead of clear. winter <laughs> where the, the current forecast is nine degrees. And that's not even, oh my God. that's not even factoring in the wind. Like, we don't know what the wind's going to be like on the day, but we could easily see wind chill bring that down to sub-zero. It, it's, or, or maybe worse, we could see snow. We could see <laughs> snow game. It, and Another snow game. It, it's just, um, it's a very confusing decision um, by the U.S. Soccer Federation because, as other people have said, there's such a gulf in talent between the U S and Honduras that we don't need to play <laughs> in a place that cold to, to have an advantage. Right. Um, I don't even, I, I really hope that was not the thinking for, for I think the, the I, I think the real thinking is carrying on from um, playing the Mexico game in Columbus and, and playing these um, Central American teams in these kind of more northern areas of the of the u.s is to try to mitigate for opposing fans being at the game and and that's a whole other discussion that we can have for another day but for this game it's just uh there's just so many other places that it could have played it's just it's a bit disappointing i mean totally disappointing and if we get to that game and the weather is as bad as it looks like it's going to be. 
like, no matter how good you are, if you can't feel your toes, like, you're not gonna be able to kick a ball. Yeah. Like, this is this is like it could end up being an equalizer more than more than the advantage that they want it to be. So that that's my concern. Agreed. Um, still feeling confident. I think the team could win all three of these games, but look, even getting out of this with seven points is not the worst thing if, if they were to draw to Canada, but um, they got Pulisic back. This team is almost fully healthy um, outside of Gio Reyna. Obviously, he's the last kind of guy to come back into the squad, and, and I think he'll be back for the next round of qualifiers, but uh, it's just, it's not sitting with me right, at least the, the, the choice of uh, venue for that Honduras game. Listen, that's fair. I don't hate that. I will say, I think in some ways, at least from a U.S. men's national team perspective, it kind of balances out because if you think about it, we're going to Canada to play in Ontario where it's probably going to be equally as cold, probably going to snow on Sunday. So from that perspective, it evens out kind of, but it doesn't make it any better. Yeah. And anyway, we'll see. I, look, the guys are again like better than all three of these teams and 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 now they have that experience of playing in those other world cup qualifiers so that excuse of it's their first time playing in these types of games is kind of goes out the window and and they should be more ready for them but um if you if you can't feel your feet it's gonna be (laughs) tough to dribble past past i don't disagree with that um so we'll see how it goes but I think overall we're feeling confident. Amen. Well, with that, Rian, I think we have a lot to look forward to over the weekend, the international break. You, of course, are just, I would pay good money to see, but you were skiing. And uh, we'll be back next week, of course, talking more about the international break. At some point, we'll talk a little bit about when club football returns. We'll figure it out as we go. We're vibing. Just vibes. Anyway, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, as always, for listening. See you next week. Thanks, guys.